Uh, Alan, I'd like to introduce a new segment here on Interrupted Tales. Okay. Um, it's a little something I've been cooking up, calling it uh, the IT Book Club. The IT Book Club. What we have here is an exclusive book club. All you have to do is leave a five-star review on iTunes, and you are a member. I think it's got to be five stars. It, it's got to be five stars. Now, let me get through the perks and give, tell you a reason why you will want to leave a five-star review. Not only do you get to join an, an exclusive community of like-minded and, dare I say, sexy people, but you also will get a shout-out on the show, and we will read your review live. Uh, well, in one of our recordings, at least. It's all about the perks. Um, what were those perks again? Well, let's ask Br- Big Brother B, our uh, current inductee into hey, the yo, IT Big Brother book B club. in the house. Yeah. Well, hey, Big B- Brother, what you up to? BBB was kind enough to leave us a five star review. Wait, under that's the- not right. Is that one? Is that the acronym <laughs> they went under? <laughs> no. Wait, what is BBB, Alan? I wouldn't look that up on the internet. <laughs> well, Big Brother B, I should say. I'll use, I'll use his full name. He was kind enough to leave a five-star review under the headline Labial Noises, which is a reference to episode 22, Scrambled Yeggs, and not just a weird phrase he came up with. Um, but uh, Big Bro B wrote, I enjoyed my first listening experience very much. Looking forward to more eps and keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Big Brother B. Yeah, thank you, Triple B. Uh, we hope you're still listening, and we hope that you can look forward to many, many more labial voices in the episode to come. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be plenty. <laughs> just to remind folks, all right, membership to this exclusive book club is easy. You just leave a five-star review, and we're going to read it. Mm, you know what? You could join my book club. You write whatever stars you want. You just say, shout out to Alan, and then oh. <laughs> Listen, I'll make it happen, okay? Listen, I'll make listen. it happen. Alan, Alan, Look, what? I'm not going to be the only one writing Rob Allen slash fiction out there, okay? Mm. It's time. Time for a thrilling story of romance, adventure, mystery, anything with an expired copyright. It's time for another. Interrupted Tale! Hello, and welcome to the show that usually ends. Another episode of Interrupted Tales, the podcast where my friend and I take turns reading stories to you, the listener, while the other person constantly interrupts. As always, I am Rob, and I'm joined tonight by Mami and General Bon Vivant, Alan. How are you, Alan? Mm, conflicted. Uh, about what? Hmm, I'm just... I just... The duality of life, Rob. <laughs> These are tough times. Tough mm-hmm. times indeed. Well, perhaps this week's story will cheer you up. Uh, this week, Good. we have a tale yes. of love and deceit. All the way from 1853. Whew. Back yeah. in the archives. Yeah, this is our oldest story yet. And it's uh, from a book called The Three Brides, Love in a Cottage, and Other Tales by Francis A. Dervidge. And uh, we will be reading Love in a Cottage. This is a very old story, so people may not know who Francis Dervidge is, but his major claim to fame is that he wrote under the pen name Olden. And uh, he wrote like newspaper articles and little humorous stories and whatnot back in the 19th century. And then he teamed up with another guy who would write under the uh, pen name of Youngin. Like a pretty, like a pretty bad superhero team. 
or or the worst vaudeville team of all time. Hey, youngin, what did you see in the newspaper today? <laughs> well, I don't know. They got all kinds of crazy names for uh, Civil War heroes nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyhow, now it's uh, it's time to grab a drink and curl up in your favorite chair while we read you this week's tale. Tell me, Charlie, who is that fascinating creature in blue that waltzes so divinely? Asked young Frank Belmont of his friend Charles Hastings, as they stood playing Wallflower for the moment at a military ball. Oh, uh, Mr. Bingley? Yeah, he's all right, I guess. Bit of a dip, really. Huh? <laughs> I think he's a catch. Julia Heathcote, answered Charles with a half-sigh. An old flame of mine. I proposed, but... She refused me. On what ground? Irreconcilable ugliness. Yeah, well, I mean, I offered to go to couples counseling or buy her a blindfold, whatever it took, but, you know, she's too set in her ways. <laughs> These modern women. I know, really, looking at the appearances of the men they would marry. <laughs> How dare they? Simply because I had a comfortable income. Her head is full of romantic notions, and she dreams of nothing but love in a cottage. Oh, one of those tiny cottage people. Well, listen, you know, there's only so many videos you can watch of people showing you the hidden spots where they store their shoes. <laughs> oh, you put your bed up on a platform, so you've got all this space beneath it and a wonderfully claustrophobic crawl space to cozy up in it like just like a raccoon <laughs> your kids aren't going to be scarred at all well done she contends that poverty is essential to happiness and money it's bane okay so that's uh that's a no on the thin mints then if you're asking if, uh, if a girl scout asked her for <laughs> Whether she wanted Girl Scout cookies. No! Money! Damn! Yep. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. Have you given up all hopes of her? Entirely. In fact, I'm engaged. Uh, to her sister, Mula Heathcote, who has a very different philosophy on fiscal certitude. Then you have no objections to my addressing this dear romantic angel. Oh, no, not at all. I, I formally undib her to you. I'll uh, have my solicitor drop the forms. None whatever. But I see my fiance. Excuse me, I, I must walk through the next quadrille with her. Frank Belmont was a stranger in Boston. A New Yorker, immensely rich and fashionable. But his reputation had not preceded him, and Charlie Hastings was the only man who knew him in New England. Ah, uh, okay, Frank. Uh, okay, talk like you're a Pats fan. Uh, I can't guarantee you're going to make it out of here. You see that Walsh over there? I mean, she'll kick your teeth in if you mention the Giants. <laughs> oh, is that is that Ted from Quincy on the phone? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, how you doing? 
he procured an introduction to the beauty from one of the managers and soon danced and talked himself into her good graces. Um, yes, okay, okay, let's see here. Uh, uh, so you, you like that song, Dirty Water? <laughs> Gonna get a lot of fans in Boston. That's, that's, my, that's my opening line. These <laughs> big standells. That's this. <laughs> That's how I get them. Hook them. You, you like them Nika wafers. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. In fact, it was a clear case of love at first sight on both sides. The enamored pair were sitting apart, enjoying a most delightful tete-a-tete. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that's a type of petty four. Oh, is it the one with the cream inside? And yeah, the, yeah, the the but the raspberry ones that aren't very good, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're dry. Oof. Oh god, they're dry. <laughs> how how did they feed an entire colony of Swiss people on <laughs> on just those petty fours? I mean, well, they had the Swiss mist to drink. Uh. <laughs> Suddenly Belmont heaved a deep sigh. Why do you sigh, Mr. Belmont? Asked the fair Julia, somewhat pleased with this proof of sensibility. <laughs> okay. No, I was just thinking of that magazine cover from Danger 5, but it says Sensible Sigh Magazine. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good read, Sensible Sigh Magazine. You know, it's, uh, it's pretty good. It's good read uh, from a good show. Yeah. Is this not a gay scene? Alas, yes, replied Belmont gloomily. But fate does not permit me to mingle habitually in scenes like this. No, no. Tragically, fate has chosen me to be a state ball inspector, and I have to shut most of them down for fire code violations or people demanding the DJ plays Uptown Funk after he just played it two songs ago. You know, I... I, I, uh... I got a hat at the beach once that said state ball inspector. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> they only make my ordinary life doubly gloomy. And even here I deem to see the shadow of a fiend waving me away. What right have I to be here? What fiend did you allude to? Asked Miss Heathcote with increasing interest. A fiend hardly presentable in good society. Mm, Chloe or Courtney? <laughs> Take your fix, <laughs> replied Belmont bitterly. One could tolerate a Mephistopheles, a dignified fiend with his pockets full of money, but my tormentor, if personified, would appear with seedy boots and a shocking bad hat. Mm, Pharrell. <laughs> That's right on. Okay, so can I just say that, like, okay, back oh, wait, in the we're, day, we're gonna get right? into Pharrell Williams now. Yeah, sure, okay, just hold on a second here. Okay, we'll okay. Put it in perspective. Back in the day, you know, I was early. I was early with Pharrell. I was in the Nep Neptune's period, right? Oh yeah. Uh, okay, you mm -hmm. gotta understand. Um, and I had only seen his name, uh, in print rather than heard it, and I thought his name was. For real, Williams. Because wouldn't that be a clever sort of 
yeah. way of making it look like you had a real name, but, you know, being... You know what I'm saying? I think that's a perfectly fine rap name. Okay. For real. You know what? Because Pharrell is just somebody's name. Yeah, he's just a guy. Yeah. Okay, thank you. All right. Glad we settled this. Just got to get rid of that hat. <laughs> Arby's wants his hat back. <laughs> it's a fish, Rob. It's a fish. <laughs> I don't uh, I don't see how you don't see it. It's got the little mouth hole for the fish and then the fins at the bottom. Uh, how absurd. Maybe it's an oven mitt. Okay, I can accept the <laughs> oven mitt argument. <laughs> It's too true, sighed Belmont. And the name of this fiend is Poverty. Are you poor? Yes, madam. I am poor. Why, madam, I'm so poor, I can't afford a personal secretary to pay attention for me. Uh, how poor is he? He's so he's so poor he can't afford a personal secretary to pay attention for him. Got it. All right. Makes sense. And when I would fain render myself agreeable in the eyes of beauty, in the eyes of one I could love, this fiend whispers me, Beware, you have nothing to offer her but love in a cottage. Love in a cottage later, living it up while our income's down. <laughs> Going down to the basement, Mr. Tyler? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's where the onions and potatoes are. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Mr. Belmont, said Julia with sparkling eyes and a voice of unusual animation. Although there are sordid souls in this world, who only judge of the merits of an individual by his pecuniary possessions. I am not one of that member. I respect poverty. There is something highly poetical about it, and I imagine that happiness is oftener found in the humble cottage than beneath the palace roof. Happiness and pellagra. Pellagra is a disease that the <laughs> poor had in the south and the... 1800s, uh, probably from a, a lack of niacin in their diet, Rob. Belmont appeared enchanted with this encouraging avowal. The next day, after cautioning his friend Charlie to say nothing of his actual circumstances, he called on the widow Heathcote and her fair daughter in the character of the poor gentleman. Uh, that was actually Charlie Chaplin's less popular character, mm -hmm. uh, I don't I don't know. This poor gentleman routine seems a lot like the tramp character. It's a pretty subtle difference. <laughs> He's just got a slightly nicer bow tie. Yeah, well, I mean, he didn't pick it out of the trash. He just, <laughs> you know, wore it to extinction. The widow had very different notions from her romantic offspring. And when Belmont candidly confessed his poverty on soliciting permission to address Julia, he was very politely requested to change the subject and never mention it again. But, 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 but all he said it was, I couldn't slip your daughter a big wad even if I wanted to. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, come on. Really? Now. Now. You're going to give me... Oh, come on. I liked it. 
Okay. The result of all this maneuvering was an elopement. The bell of the ball jumping out of a chamber window on a shed and coming down a flight of steps to reach her lover for the sake of being romantic when she might just as well have walked out the front door. Yeah, um, sheds factor heavily in most of my romantic thoughts. I'm not sure whether it's the lawnmowers or the brown recluse spiders. It's, it's just the whole vibe. <laughs> Stirs the blood, you know what I'm saying? It's shed life. The, love the necrotic blood that is <laughs> happens when the brown recluse spider bites you. They are in all your sheds. Stay away. The happy couple passed a day in New York City, and then Frank took his beloved to his cottage. An Irish hack conveyed them to a miserable shanty in the environs of New York, where they alighted, and Frank, escorting the bride in the apartment which served for parlor, kitchen, and drawing room, and was neither papered nor carpeted, introduced her to his mother, much in the way Claude Melnot presents Pauline. Uh, yes, and of course, Rob, as you know, mm -hmm. that is a reference to a much beloved 19th century play, which I will not insult our audience by naming or providing details about. That would be insulting to them. Yeah, that would. They all know. They know. They just like they know Marty Robbins songs. They know <laughs> what play Pauline was in and her importance <laughs> as a emblematic character you might reference in a short story. Uh, Marty Robbins. Uh, the old woman who was peeling potatoes hastily wiped her hands and face with a greasy apron and saluted her darter, as she called her, on both cheeks. Can it be possible, thought Julia, that this vulgar creature is my Belmont's mother? No. No, she's she's probably just the substitute cleaning lady until he can afford to pay a permanent cleaning lady. <laughs> Frank! screamed the old woman. You'd better go right upstairs and take them clothes, for the boy's been sent arter him more'n fifty times. Frank borrowed him clothes, ma'am? She added to Julia, by way of explanation, to look smart when he went down east. The bridegroom retired on this hint, and soon reappeared in a pair of faded nankeen pantaloons, reaching to about the calf of the leg, a very shabby black coat, out at the elbows, a ragged black vest, and instead of his varnished leather, boot, leather boots, a pair of immense cowhide brogans. All right, honey, I'm off to audition for newsies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christian Bale. Nothing. It's just Christian Bale. Sure. Sure, that's what we were all thinking. <laughs> no particular thoughts. Just Christian Bale. <laughs> now, said he, sitting quietly by the down by the cooking stove, I begin to feel at home. Ah, this is delightful, isn't it, dearest? And he warbled, Though never so humble, there's no place like home. Julia's heart swelled so that she could not utter a word. Uh, which we now know is called a myocardial infarction. <laughs> the science of the time had not yet... Uh, no, they hadn't that. figured that part out. <laughs> 
Dearest, said Frank, I think you told me you had no objection to smoking. None in the least. No, darling, I live that thick cotton vape 24-7-364 not on Veterans Day. That's disrespectful life. <laughs> said the bride. I rather like the flavor of a cigar. Oh, a cigar, replied Belmont. That would never do for a poor man. No, we can only afford pre-owned snuff, which we roll with pre-owned newspaper. The matches are new, though. You gotta have new matches. Right, with that pre-owned snuff. <laughs> and, oh, horror, he produced an old clay pipe and filling it from a little newspaper parcel of tobacco, began to smoke with a keen relish. Dinner! Dinner! he exclaimed at length. Ah, thank you, mother. I'm as hungry as a bear. Codfish and potatoes. Julia, not very tempting fare. But what of that? Our element is love. Yes, and by way of treat, added the old woman, I've been and gone and bought a whole pint of Albany ale. Oh, no, not a Utica ale. It's an Albany ale. <laughs> Steamed hams. Steamed but it's hams. a reference to beer in a 19th century romance <laughs> short story. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Utica reference. And three cream cakes from the candy shop next block. Uh, in fact, how about tomorrow? I'll take you to the candy shop. I'll let you lick the lollipop. Go ahead, girl. Don't you stop. And keep going till you hit the spot, is what I say when I ask if you'd like to go to the candy shop. <clears throat> A dramatic reading of candy shop. Poor Julia pleaded indisposition and could not eat a mouthful. Oh, dear. Ugh. Fish and potatoes, why, it's positively food that everyone eats <laughs> in all nations Everywhere. and all peoples across the world. They sell it at Long John Silver's. <laughs> Before Belmont, however, the codfish and potatoes and the ale and cream cakes disappeared with a very unromantic and unloverlike velocity. Dear Carolyn, when it comes to getting his fill, my new husband finishes with an unloverlike velocity. How can I tell him to slow down on the cream? and that it's only polite to spend a little more time on the codfish, signed, Just Desserts. P.S. Also, how do I stop him from being a selfish lover? <laughs> Expect an answer from Carolyn right now. Come on, ask Carolyn. At the close of the meal, a thundering double knock was heard at the door. Come in, cried Belmont, a low-browed man in a green waistcoat standard. Now, Mr. Belmont... What's a Hyperion accent? Isn't that where Conan is, <coughs> Conan is from? Irish, thank you. Now, Mr. Belmont. Oh, my lord. <laughs> Let me try that again. Oh, oh <laughs> my dear lord. Oh, oh, oh now, Mr. Mr. Belmont. Oh, no. <laughs> sure it ain't that. He exclaimed in a strong Hiberian oh, accent. Oh, no, son. No. <laughs> Are you ready to go to work? <laughs> By the powers. If I don't see you sailed tomorrow on the shopboard, I'll discharge you without a character. 
and ye shall starve on top of that. And don't be asking me for severance, because you sure be contracted under a not-will agreement. <laughs> they're poor, but they're not dumb. No, <laughs> I mean, it protects, it protects both parties. <laughs> Tomorrow morning, Mr. Maloney, replied Belmont meekly, I'll be at my post. And it'll be mighty healthy for you to do that same, replied the man as he retired. Belmont, speak, tell me, gasped Julia. Who is that man? That loafer? Loafer? Oh, 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 because he's Irish. I could, yeah, I could see how you'd make that racist inference. Ah. He is my employer, answered Belmont, smiling. And his profession? He is a tailor. And you? Am a journeyman tailor at your service. I did minor in tinkering in as well, but that's a very competitive program. Say you like me, Hat. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you say you like me, Hat, Shannon? <laughs> <laughs> a laborious and thankless calling it ever was to me, but now, dearest, as I drive the hissing goose across the smoking seam. Oh, God, that is filthy. Just hold on, <laughs> hold on, hold on, okay. Uh, whew, let me check here. Uh, I don't think the iTunes rating goes any higher. So, uh, the only thing probably we could do is set the old episodes to clean so that people mm. realize how explicit this actually is in comparison. That works. That works. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, go ahead. Uh, sorry. Go ahead and read it one more time, but, uh, slow this time and r really emphasis the hiss, please. But now, dearest, as I drive the hissing... Goose. Okay, all right, sorry. Nope, I'm going to have to call that. Nope. <laughs> Too hot for radio. Oof, hissing goose. Ah. I shall think of my own angel and my dear cottage and be happy. That night, Julia retired weeping to her room in the attic. That air counterpin darter, said the old woman. I worked with these here old hands. Ain't it putty? I hope you will sleep well here. There's a broken pane of glass, but I put one of my Frank's old hats in it, and I don't think you'll feel the draft. Yeah, hats are well known for their wind-resistant properties. I mean, you just kind of let one go, and I mean, it's, they just fall right in the ground. So they don't go anywhere. Well, the the irony here is that it's a trucker cap. It just lets the air all in. It's, like, mm. it's ironic. <laughs> there used to be a good many rats here, but I don't think they'll trouble you now, for Frank's been a pisonin' of them. Uh, a pisonin'? <laughs> what, a pisonin'? He's been What's... a pisonin' of them. A pisonin'. That's Pizza Hut's new pisonin', our Cinnabon stiff pizza. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's all the all the toppings that you want with a cinnamon filled crust. <clears throat> Left alone, Julia threw herself into a chair and burst into a flood of tears. Even Belmont had ceased to be attractive in her eyes. The stern privations that surrounded her banished all thoughts of love. The realities of life had cured her in all one day of all of her quixotic notions. Well, you know, she's a 
terrible person who after one day stopped loving her husband, who is a terrible person who is tricking her into not loving him. So I guess the ending is going to be a pretty realistic portrayal of divorce. Yes. Sounds about right. Well, Julia, how do you like poverty and love in a cottage? Asked Belmont, entering in his bridal dress. Oh, Belmont, you've done it, old boy. Just wait until she finds out we're going to debtor's prison for three years. Then she'll really change her mind. <laughs> it's the long love con. Not so well, sir, as you seem to like that borrowed suit, answered the bride, reddening with vexation. Very well, you shall suffer it no longer. My carriage awaits your orders at the door. Your carriage? Indeed. Yes, dearest, it waits but for you to bear us to Belmont Hall, my lovely villa on the Hudson. Where you can look from the highest tower and say, All that floating debris and contaminated runoff belongs to me. <laughs> far as the eye can see and that... smell <laughs> and when it catches fire oh is it beautiful what a bright flame it has <laughs> and your mother i have no mother alas the old woman downstairs is an old servant of the family well, she also played sister hubert in a community theater production of nonsense that i directed <laughs> so i knew she'd be great for the part did you did you have to look up Sister Hubert? Hey, hey, maybe I know all the nuns that are in the cast of nonsense. And I picked the one that I thought the audience would like best. She is the best. <laughs> then you have been deceiving me, Frank. How wicked. It was all done with a good motive. The best motive to start a YouTube prank channel. <laughs> You were not born to endure a life of privation, but to shine the ornament of an elegant and refined circle. I hope you will not love me the less when you learn that I am worth nearly half a million. That's the melancholy fact, and I can't help it. My man, Godfrey. <laughs> oh, Frank, cried the beautiful girl, and hid her face in his bosom. She presided with grace at the elegant festivities of Belmont Hall, and seemed to support her husband's wealth and luxurious style of living with the greatest fortitude and resignation, never complaining of her comforts, nor murmuring a wish for living in a cottage. Nor informing her mother that she was still alive after her mysterious vanishing without word or explanation. <laughs> And, and she took the shed, too. Her mom's going to be pissed. The end. Wow. So, Alan. Yes. That was a, quite a love story. Yeah, there was a lot of love. I think you could see that, that uh, love was the primary emotional state of everybody in this story. It's, it's, uh, it's how you build a relationship, a solid foundation for a relationship. Um, so, uh, Alan, what do you think the moral of this particular story is? Mm, listen, I could probably 
We could probably say something snarky, but this is basically the exact same plot as Charles Dickens' Our Mutual Friend, which was written like a decade later. So, I don't know. This guy's <laughs> pretty, pretty prescient there. <laughs> something. Counts for something. something. Like, who knows? Who stole my idea. Stole my really dumb idea <laughs> about totally faking an entire lifestyle and lying to your new wife just so she'll, you know, be better. That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> sounds about right. What do you think the moral was, Rob? Oh, uh, being poor is for suckers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can see it. <laughs> That's about it. Well, uh, that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Uh, or am I lying? Hmm. Why? <laughs> well, yeah, it could be. I, maybe I'm not hosting a podcast at all, Alan. I think there's audio evidence that you are. <sighs> Fake news. Well, again, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, I hope you all tune in next time for another exciting Interrupted... Well, now, love, I have to tell you, we've been reduced to eating dog food. <laughs> and uh, you, you might as well just tuck right in there before it's all gone. <laughs> Belmont, Belmont, you can't. <laughs> hold on, hold on. That, that photographer's just here for the National Geographic. Just just, just go ahead and eat. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> what a crap joke. <laughs> she probably hates it. Tail!